Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Good morning, church. I'm going to be reading uh, from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell all in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people we're amazed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Caleb. You can clap for the word of the Lord. There are a couple people trying. We're going to go ahead and dismiss our kids now. If you are in kindergarten through fifth grade, fifth grade, then you can head back. If you are sixth grade and above, there will be a short quiz after the worship service. See if you're paying attention. It's good to see so many of you this morning. My name is Pastor Andrew, one of the pastors here at the church. If this is your first time with us, we're especially glad whether you're tuning in online, which many are still doing, or in person. 
Uh, I heard some good news today uh, that the Omicron variant is supposed to peak today, they predicted. And, and, I, and I read that, I was like, come on, who's saying that? And it was actually a Washington State health rep. Uh, and I was like, they know that, they're that accurate about it? Okay, I'll take it. Um, we know in the last number of weeks, uh, I know more people in the last three weeks that have got COVID than I do in the previous two years. Um, and I know many of you have either had it or and know folks that have had it as well, but grateful that to date, uh, nobody uh, in our church family has, has died from COVID. And many of you that have had it recently, it's been, um, you've survived it. So we're grateful for that as well. Um, this last week on Wednesday night, I hosted just a kind of 90-minute seminar on how to study the Bible. Um, and one of the things that we talk about whenever we approach Scripture is that, that Scripture is uh, it's 66 books, right? It was written over 14, 1,500 years by 40 different authors in three different languages, and yet it has one unified story. And, and the story is the story of who God is and his pursuit, his love, his grace toward his creation. And so we can, we can parse a lot of words and we can, we can have a, a really heady philosophical and theological discussions. And we can ask God, why, why is this thing happening to me or why have you allowed this thing? But one thing we can't do is read the Bible and not come away with a beautiful picture of God as a pursuing God. That he, he never gives up trying to make himself known to his creation. And the Bible, it's dense, it's nuanced, it's sometimes puzzling, but there's just no way that you can miss this theme in the biblical story. And this pursuit that God displays, it takes place in the context of our opposition to God. Uh, in our denial of him, in our pride, in our delusion, it is in our sinful nature to set ourselves up against God. And we see this from the, the very early chapters of the Bible. One of the, the, the first kind of miraculous type stories is, this, is the story of the Tower of Babel, where humanity says, we, we can be like God. We can create something. We can reach the heavens. We can attain God-like status. And so from the very beginning, this has been an issue in the human story. And we're not only part of creation that opposes our creator, but there's also another realm that is opposed and has set itself up to God, the spiritual world. And we see this at well as well. Right from the beginning of Genesis, we see a spiritual force, a, the, Satan himself, who comes and tries to influence humanity to oppose God. And the, the scripture shows this and shows um, how the spiritual and the physical realm are always intimately connected to each other. And so Satan, he, he comes as, as being opposed to God and he tries to recruit humanity to join him. And if you know the story... They did. They did join him in that opposition. So what does God do? Well, God is a pursuing God. So he comes up with a plan, a plan to rescue and restore humanity from the fruit of their own rebellion. In the passage that Caleb just read, we get a glimpse of what that plan looks like in the person of Jesus. And so what 
um, Caleb just read is Mark chapter 5. That's our text for this morning. And I'm not going to reread the whole passage since Caleb just read it so well. Um, but what we're going to do is, as a, as a church, we've been walking through the gospel of Mark. We're going we're gonna to look at the pursuit of God. We're going to see it highlighted in this story. We're going to see how Jesus not only pursues us, as it's demonstrated in this story, but he also restores us. And, and through that restoration, he then gives us purpose and meaning in this reunion that happens between humanity and God. So let me just give a brief kind of recap of what Caleb just read. Um, first of all, if you haven't been with us, um, this story that Caleb just read of Jesus and his interactions with his demon-possessed man, it comes fresh on the, heel, on the heels of Jesus having just revealed how powerful he is. That Jesus himself is so powerful, he, is, he can command the created world to do things. And if you know the story, um, Jesus had been um, preaching and uh, large crowds have been gathering to hear him preach and teach. Um, he had been demonstrating his, his power and his, his authority through that. And then he tells his disciples, hey, let's head across the sea. Get in a boat. We're going to go across the sea. And as they're traveling across the sea, uh, a fierce storm hits. And it looks like they might die. And Jesus gets up and he says, peace be still. And the wind and the waves obey him. So this is what has just happened. Jesus and his disciples just traveled through this life-threatening storm so that they might encounter this demon-possessed man who lives in a graveyard, who would ultimately, uh, this isn't a spoiler because Caleb just read it, <laughs> ultimately be restored in such a way that he would become an evangelist to ten cities. God is a pursuing God. So just a brief recap of what we just read. We don't know how this man got to this point. Uh, what, he, what his childhood was like, what influences were in his life. But we do know that the source of this man's issues in his life were spiritual. They were demonic. There was a presence in his life that had control of him in such a way. And this presence was so strong that everyone else in the region knew what the issue was, but they were powerless to stand against it. The picture we get is of almost superhuman strength this man has. And he's on the outskirts of town, living in a graveyard. And the fact that this man was constantly crying out and cutting himself, um, it shows that he was in major inner turmoil, but yet that he was still powerless to change his own circumstances. How many of us have felt like that? Just powerless to change our own circumstances. And so, as a result, he was outcast, he was isolated, and his only friends were buried in the ground, in the graveyard where he lived. So then Jesus shows up with his disciples after having just survived this storm. And what does the man do? Well, he runs to Jesus, which at first thought, Looks, wow, that's amazing. But immediately we know that something is going on with this man. Something different. And while this gives us a clue that he's running towards him, that maybe he has some, still has some willpower, some strength left in him, uh, as soon as he opens his mouth, we see that it is not him speaking, but it is these demonic spirits that have possessed him and tormented him. He may be not all gone, 
but he's certainly not in control. And so when he addresses Jesus, it's clear something's going on. And they immediately, as demonic spirits had done previous and previous encounters with Jesus, they try to get the upper hand on Jesus by naming who he is, which in the ancient Near East was a clear um, statement of, of trying to, to create authority over an individual. So they name him, and then they try and make a request of him. Please don't send us out of the area. Please don't do these things. And then we see, as Jesus has this encounter, that it's not just one impure spirit, like in previous encounters, but many. When Jesus asks the name of this spirit, he says legion, which is a, a Roman military term indicating 6,000 soldiers. Now, most likely this was a figurative answer, but it was still an indication that this was a huge force of demonic spirits that were in control of this man's life. And then, in a way, Jesus, while he frees the man, he also lets the demons display their mission in full. When he sends them into a massive herd of pigs to carry out the mission they have yet to complete in the man. And that mission? It's death. Death. And this is always the end result of evil, of a life lived apart and opposed to God. The end result is always the same, death. So then word gets back to the town. And when the people come to see what has happened, they see this dude and he has changed. He's, now he's got clothes on. So this would be a rated R kind of scene if it was depicted accurately. He's no longer nude. He's not cutting himself or being wild and crazy. He is sitting there like a normal person in his right mind. Now, what would you think their response would be? This guy was known. Nobody could ever do anything to help him. Well, their response wasn't concern or even joy at what had happened. Their first concern is for themselves and their economy. Oh, no. Did you see what happened? All those pigs died. That's our livelihood. It's like the stock market tanking right before their eyes. And so what do they say? Please, Jesus, just go. Get out of here. There's actually a lot of begging in this story. There's four incidents of, of, of begging towards Jesus. The first one is the demons toward Jesus. Don't torture me. Don't, second one is don't send us out of the area. And then the third one is please get out of our town. And then the last one, this man who has been supernaturally restored by Jesus begs Jesus to go with him. It says the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. This story uh, we just read is told in three places in Scripture, not just Mark's a gospel account, but in Matthew's and Luke's accounts as well. So it's clearly important as it relates to the ministry of Jesus. Uh, John's gospel says, that he doesn't suppose that all the books in the world could contain what Jesus had done while he was on this earth. And so what is contained in what we have is obviously very important. God wants us to know this story. He wants us to see Jesus at work in this way. So what is it? What are some features that are in this story that are important for us to understand today? Well, I think feature number one is there is 
a spiritual world. There is a spiritual world. And just like Jesus demonstrated he has power over the natural world, Jesus demonstrates he has power over it as well. Now, as a follower of Jesus, we have got to understand that there are very real spiritual forces that are opposed to Jesus' rule and reign. And guess what? If you're on Jesus' side, they're opposed to you too. The Bible opens and closes showing this opposition, showing how it works, and how these demonic spirits will ultimately be defeated. And trust me, by this point in history, in the story we just read, and in the time we live in now, these demonic, story, these demonic spirits know that their time is ticking. So today, their goal is to take as many people with them as possible. Now, when we talk about this kind of thing, when we talk about this spiritual world and demons and angels, there's kind of typically two ends of the spectrum, two, two kind of ways that people respond. One is those that choose to ignore the spiritual world. You may read the Bible and your mind just kind of goes to a different place when you hear these types of things and you think that's just that's kind of the mythical language of Scripture. And so you choose to willfully just to ignore it. It's just too weird to think about or too scary to think about, whatever it would be. And then there's the other extreme. There's people that emphasize it too much. I grew up in a charismatic church where we talked about Satan and angels and demons all the time. And so much so that sometimes they were talked about in such a way that they began to be glorified for their power. And I call these like Christian ghost stories. And, and, and people would become fearful of these demonic spirits. Uh, I remember one time I was, uh, I was working with a missions organization that had a, a school. And a bunch of students were coming into this particular school. And uh, one, one girl was so fearful of any kind of demonic stuff that she led her roommates to be praying over the mattresses that they were going to be sleeping in in their dorms in case demons were hiding out there. And we got to assure her they weren't. Uh, we, they, they don't live in the building, and we prayed over your rooms, and there's nothing to be scared about. So depending on your background, you may, you may just choose to ignore it, or you may overthink it. And, and honestly, there's uh, a lot of cultural influences here as well. If, if you grew up in um, countries where uh, witchcraft and worship of spirits is a kind of a regular part of the life, you're going to be more aware and more open to that reality. Here in our Western world, in our scientific world, uh, we, we tend to minimize that kind of stuff and ignore it. And in my experience, um, demonic forces have very little to gain by making themselves known to spiritual skeptics. Because what would that gain them? What would that benefit them to reveal their reality? It's better for you and I, as, as rational Western thinkers, to chalk up these things to mental illness or bad habits or, or whatever explanation our progressive Western society can come up with. But as a Christian, if we deny the spiritual world, then we deny the primary mission of Jesus. Jesus did not come to set up an earthly kingdom where he was going to have a great economy and everybody was going to live well and there's going to be universal health care and all these things. Like that is not what he came to do. Jesus came to set up a spiritual kingdom first. 
And then the results of that spiritual kingdom permeate the physical world. He came to wage war against these very demonic forces that he encounters with this man. Now, if you already believe or have already experienced the reality of demonic forces, then the tactic switches. They know, they've been revealed, they've been exposed, and that's what happens with this man in this, this cemetery. And so demonic forces will take a different approach. They'll uh, either e- equate or they'll either create the illusion that you are in control or that they are to be feared as all-powerful, even equal to God. And I used to think this. I used to think God and Satan, man, if they were in a boxing match, it, it might go 12 rounds. It might be tough. I'm sure God will pull it out in the end. But the reality is, is a, a boxing match between God and Satan would go something like this. Uh, God in one corner, Satan in the other corner, there's the bell, boom, it's over. God is all-powerful. So there's kind of, if you have an awareness of these things, and, and this is why we need to be, uh, uh, as Christians, as believers, we need to be aware of those that willingly give themselves to demonic influences under the covering of things like Wicca or of New Age kind of experiences. I was talking with somebody this uh, just a couple weeks ago about crystals and rocks and, you know, the mystical healing power that they, that they hold. And they don't. <laughs> it's a created thing. But demonic forces, spiritual forces, if they can manipulate you to, to make you think that you are in control, that you have influence over them, hey, that, that's just as good as you thinking they don't exist at all. I, I had a, a, a pretty... Um, Interesting interaction, and I have many have had many interactions with, with people that have been demonically possessed over the years, both internationally and locally. And I don't talk about these a lot again because I don't want to elevate the uh, power of the demonic forces, but they do have power. They do have influence, as we've seen in this story. One young man who uh, had gone to church his whole life told me about how he was uh, he had, was in a, in a, had an experience with a group of people that were heavily into Wicca. And he said they were doing, we were doing all these things and we were summoning the spirits and they didn't know what they were doing. We thought we were in control. We thought we had influence here. He says, at one point, I literally saw somebody laying down on the floor start to float. And he said, then and there, I knew that they had power. He said, some weeks later, he had a vision. And in his vision, he saw a path to God and a path to Satan. And he said, I just had this powerful experience uh, uh, surrounding this kind of witchcraft type, type uh, environment. And he says, I chose Satan. And as a result, he had a demonic spirit within him that he started, that started speaking and manifesting right there in front of me. So I don't share this to, to, to wig people out, but we can't, as believers, deny this spiritual world. So when we approach this story, this is an aspect of the world we live in. And in this story that we just read, the demons had nowhere to hide in the presence of Jesus. Uh, and they had no authority apart from uh, what Jesus was going to allow them to do. And even a legion of demons, thousands of them, were still subject to him. So as a believer in Jesus, I think m- many of us in this room are and online, um, as a believer in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is with you. And what that means is you have, you and I have nothing to fear. 
Aaron and Tiffany opened up our service reading from 1 John. 1 John 4, 4 says this, The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And this is a spiritual reference to the Holy Spirit who is within us and the demonic forces that are at work in the world today. And so as believers, we have this assurance in Christ that the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. But nobody else does. Apart from Christ, you don't have this assurance. The assurance that the Spirit is with you and protecting you and guiding you. So there's no escaping the supernatural. Not just in this story, but in the entirety of our Christian faith. You don't need to go demon hunting, but you do need to ask God for discernment, for his wisdom. The Holy Spirit that is within you will give you that. So feature number one, there is a spiritual world and Jesus has power over it as well. And that's good news. Feature number two, Jesus' mission is to free people. Uh, as this scene ends and his disciples head back across the water, it becomes clear that they were here for one primary reason, to free this man. That was it. That was the goal and mission. In the Gospel of Luke, there's this powerful scene where Jesus walks into the synagogue, which is kind of like a church, and he reads a portion of Scripture from Isaiah. And it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus reads this passage from the prophet Isaiah. And then I love what Jesus does next. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Mic drop, right? It's not a mic, it's a clicker, but you get the point. Jesus' first sermon in a church was this passage about God coming to free people is now about to happen. Amazing. Amazing. One of the questions we've been asking as we've been studying Jesus' life in the Gospel of Mark is, what are we inviting people into? What are we inviting people into? Some perceptions that people have of the church and of following Jesus is you're inviting them into a restrictive moral society that's going to tell you how you have to live your life. Some people have this perception that following Jesus, that living out the values of Christianity are restrictive and no fun, and your life is just going to be this kind of like prude, laid out for you kind of thing. But that's not the picture that we get from Scripture. That's not the picture that we get from Jesus' life. What Jesus is inviting us into is to know what true freedom looks like. Because the, the reality is, is the demonic forces of the world, they want to offer something that looks like freedom, that tastes like freedom, that smells like freedom, but it's actually slavery. 
Think about it. Think about it in your own life. The, when you were at a young age and your parents said, don't do this, don't do that, and you say, it's, my parents just don't want me to have fun. And then years later you go, man, if I would have listened to them, I wouldn't have fallen into sexual sin. If I would have listened to them, I wouldn't still be wrestling with alcohol abuse. If I would have listened to them, right? So sometimes we think it's freedom, but it's actually a road into slavery. It's a road into bondage. So what is true freedom? Now notice the way that Jesus works. The way that Jesus works is always from the inside out. He frees the man spiritually from his bondage, and the result is that then his life changes. So he is freed from this bondage, and and then his restoration begins. And this is true freedom. It's not just a change of appearance or a change of circumstance, but it is a change of heart. So when you are invited to know Jesus, to, to be reconciled with God, it is actually an invitation to become who you were always meant to be. You can, you can still root for your sports team. You can, still, you can still use your creative hobbies that you have. You can still hang out with your friends. But now you are, the, are, are being transformed into the person that God always had in mind before you chose the road of slavery. Warren Wearsby says this. He says, freedom does not mean I am able to do whatever I want to do. That's the worst kind of bondage. Freedom means I have been set free to become all that God wants me to be, to achieve all that God wants me to achieve, to enjoy all that God wants me to enjoy. So our freedom comes from the redemptive power of Jesus who reconciles us to God. And that reconciliation brings us into relationship where now, united with God, we can be who we were meant to be. The third feature we see in this story is that we often miss what Jesus is doing because it makes us uncomfortable. We often miss what Jesus is doing because it makes us uncomfortable. So first, we can't forget that the disciples almost lost their lives in a storm to get to this guy. Now, do you think if they would have known ahead of time like what the situation would have been like, that they would have tried their darn best to, to talk Jesus out of it or to come up with an excuse? Oh, you know, I kind of have a sore throat today. You know, I better, better hang back here. For this one guy and a guy that, that, what does he have to offer? He's already gone. You know, what's interesting is the, the pigs, uh, when I was a kid, I used to read this and just get so, like, weirded out about the whole pig thing. The pigs are actually a key part of the story, and they highlight a couple sub-features of what's going on here that we might often miss. First of all, Jewish people had nothing to do with pigs. They're considered unclean animals. So right away, we get an idea of what's going on here. Jesus has taken his Jewish disciples across the, the sea, across this giant lake, to be with people that they never, ever be with. Like the other side of the tracks, the other part of town. And the only people that would herd pigs would be non-Jewish people, Gentiles, who were considered also unclean by Jewish people. So the first picture we get here, one of the things we, we obviously 
often miss is that there is a racial component to this story. That Jesus is taking his people and he is leading his disciples on a mission to a different people, one that they would never typically associate with. So this is a powerful statement of the, co- the kind of kingdom that Jesus was, would be building, a kingdom for all people. The other thing that we see here is, and I mentioned this earlier, is the people that once this deliverance happens, once this manifestation of the power of God happens, the people in those neighborhoods, they can't receive it because they were more concerned about what might happen next. They're more concerned about the economy, about what they might lose, than they were about what has just happened. And how often we do that. How often our society, our lives are oriented around the wrong thing and we miss out on the thing that Jesus is trying to do. In the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our sin, we say, well, Jesus does these things, I'll take care of these things. And if Jesus is going to threaten the empire that I have, the control that I have, then I'm going to beg him to leave. That's what they did. But what if they hadn't? What if they hadn't? Who else in their city might have been delivered and restored and healed? At what cost? Well, we're talking about people. The cost is worth it. How about you? Do you keep Jesus at arm's length because you are afraid of what you might lose? Now, again, if you're afraid of what you might lose because you've been given a wrong picture of Christianity, like, oh, as soon as I become a Christian, I have to start dressing different. I can't listen to hip-hop. I can't root for that sports team. Like, if you've been given that picture of Christianity, I get it. But what else that... What other picture have you been given that is not inaccurate? Do you keep Jesus' arms linked because you're afraid what you might lose? On another spectrum, that's a valid concern. So many times people came up to Jesus and said, I want to follow you, Jesus. And he says, hey, that's good. I don't really have a place that I like lay down at night. Like rolling with me is not the most comfortable. Oh, okay, well, maybe not then. I want to follow you, Jesus. Okay, that's great. Are you willing to just kind of give everything up about your life and follow me? Like, you might not spend any time, more time with your family anymore. Ooh, yeah, we have really good family gatherings. I, I think I'll wait then. Well, what about, what about the rich young ruler? I, I, I've done everything. I've kept all the commandments. I'm a good religious person. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Ooh, can't do that. So if you are afraid of of, of having to lose things to follow Jesus, that's a valid concern. Because what Jesus wants is he wants people that are all in, willing to be about his mission. So this is feature number three. And then the last feature, feature four, that we see in this story is that Jesus restores and Jesus gives purpose. One of my favorite stories from Jesus' life is when he meets a Samaritan woman who is living a sexually promiscuous life, and and he gives her a better vision for how she can live. And because of the supernatural aspect of this story that we just read, I think we often miss that the exact same thing is going on in this story. This is what Jesus does. He frees people, he restores people, and then he gives them purpose. 
So after begging to go with Jesus, Jesus responds to the man and says, Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Now you may read Decapolis and think that's like one, one city. Decapolis means 10 cities. Deca is 10 in Greek. So this man, <laughs> he wanted to go with Jesus, and understandably so. But Jesus says, you've been restored, you've been redeemed, and now here's your mission. You're an evangelist. Ten cities. Go tell them about me. Now, I, I can only assume that many people in these ten cities knew about this dude. And so when he shows up and he begins to tell them about Jesus, they were amazed. A true miracle had happened. And you know what? I've seen this same miracle in people's lives. I've seen people that have been addicted for years get free of the addiction. And, 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 and not just because they were part of a program, and, and certainly those things are essential and helpful, but because the transformation for them came from the inside out. They found Jesus, their, their lives were restored, their affections were changed, and everything about them was different. And people that knew them before and know them now said, you are a different person. There's some people like that in this room. Some of you, that's part of your story. So Jesus, this is his heart. He restores, he redeems, and he gives purpose. This is a key part of the gospel. Through Jesus, God doesn't just save you, but he restores your life. He makes you who you were always meant to be. And then he doesn't just leave you there and say, okay, well, you know, now that you've been, your life has been radically changed and you've been radically saved, all you need to do now is just go to church for one hour every Sunday. That's the Christian life. How lame is that? No, he says, go. Where you go, tell people about me. Be who you were meant to be wherever you are and watch and see what happens. And you know what happened? People were amazed. They were amazed at the power of God displayed in this man's life. So this story reminds us of, a, of these things, these features. And it reminds us that the mission of Jesus is always to seek and to save the lost. It reveals how Jesus himself shows us the heart of God. Jesus, as God, chose to endure hardship and come into the mess of humanity to save and restore us. And we see that in just this microcosm in this story. Hardship through the sea, the mess of humanity in the graveyard with a demoniac. Jesus cho chooses to come into our lives and restore and save. And apart from Jesus... We have a lot more in common with the demon-possessed man living in a graveyard. But Jesus doesn't want us to stay there. And so much of our culture right now is trying to get us to stay there, riddled with anxiety and depression and isolation. And so we stay in our rooms, we look at screens, we believe the lies. We, we, we feed ourselves the lies. But Jesus this morning wants us to know 
true freedom, true restoration. This story also points us to what it means to follow Jesus today. Jesus took his disciples with him on this journey. He could have left them on the shore, but he took them with him so they could see what it means to be his apprentice. And he is calling us, his church, to move into the same spaces today. Of all the stories of Jesus' life that could have been recorded, we get this one. As his apprentices today, we just journey there together. What's going to be our response? Is there a place that you felt you could never go? Is there a people you could never interact with? Is there a, somebody that you have believed the lie that is too far gone to ever be redeemed? This story reminds us that is not true. And so as apprentices of Jesus today, this story is powerful for us. There is no one that God does not see, that he does not love, and that he does not pursue. You included. In fact, I don't doubt that there is someone very specific listening this morning, whether here in person or online, that was supposed to hear this story today. To know that the same Jesus who went across the lake and met a man in a graveyard is the same Jesus that wants to meet you today. He wants you to know him. So the words that you're hearing today are for you. And lastly, this story reminds us that our life has immense value and purpose. Immense value and purpose. And that the freedom that Jesus offers us, well, it's never too late to step into that freedom. So don't let your concern for what you might lose overshadow the freedom that Jesus offers. Ten cities. <laughs> this guy? Amazing. Jesus promises the same for you and me today. Would you stand with me this morning? There's two things I want to pray this morning. I want to pray for us as a church that we would understand what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus as we've just journeyed with him. And for those of you that have more in common with the demon-possessed man in the grave, that today would be your moment of freedom, the beginning of your restoration. So let's pray together. Father, first I pray for, for those today who have not received you for who you say you are, Lord, Savior, Redeemer, that today would be the day. The, the fears of what they might lose would be smaller than the knowledge of what they will gain. And if that's you this morning, it's a heart decision. It's an inward decision that's powerfully important when it's displayed physically. And so we want to pray with you. If you are ready to receive Jesus, if you're ready to step into the life that only he can offer, we want to pray with you. If you're here in the room this morning, after this last song, we'd ask that you come up front so that we can do that. If you're online, we ask that you would message us so that we can meet with you and follow up with you. Oh, Father, we thank you for your spirit, for the power that you display. And secondly, I want to pray for us that have received Jesus, imperfect as we may be, stumbling and bumbling, doubting like the disciples. We still belong to Jesus. 
Would you just lift your hands up? Just hold them in front of you this morning. I just want to pray for you. Lord Jesus, I ask that this church would be a church full of apprentices. People that are willing to follow you wherever you would lead. Lord, that we would understand that the sum total of our faith is not an hour on Sunday morning. It's not how many verses we read in the Bible each day. But Father, you're inviting us into something bigger. You're inviting us into to spaces where people are broken so that you might be known. You're inviting us to, to live in the freedom and the restoration that you can bring. And so God, would we throw off the fears, uh, whether it's economic or positional, would we throw off the things that would get in our way from receiving you? May we, we not be the beggar that says, would you, would you leave? But may we be the one that says, can we go with you? Can we go with you wherever you go? And Lord, would you then send us where you want us as a church? We thank you, Jesus, for your great love. We thank you for preserving this story so that we might know you better. May we leave here transformed, changed by your heart, by your truth. All God's people said, amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.